Hello and welcome to another episode of Triathlon Science. This is episode 5 presented by Tri-Mechanics. Today's episode we are going to focus on a statement that I made a few days ago about ERC mode. So I made a rel- relatively conclusive statement that I believe that we should not be using ERG mode to do our interval sessions on or any sessions for that matter and I got a lot of various different replies mostly negative towards me and my statement um, and the particularly around the psychological um, elements of ERG mode. So I thought I would just do this podcast to try and explain a little bit more detail about why I believe the way I do about ERG mode, why I believe that you should never use it um, and that the idea of using it rarely is um, better than using it all the time but that actually you should aim to try and not use it at all. So the reason I dislike ERG mode, um, I think actually, sorry, to, to be honest I think the best way to do this really is to start off talking about what ERG mode actually is, where it came from. So ERG mode, if you don't know what it is, if you've never come across it, is something that is now employed by or um, is found on smart trainers that have an ability to um, hold resistance based on um, trying to essentially control your power output. So it has to be a smart trainer that can measure power output and then it will control the resistance um, in order to basically keep you based on the cadence that you're using at um, a given power output. So it senses the cadence, it changes the resistance that you have to put in, and that should essentially end up with a result of a specific power output that you put in. So let's say you are going to do a session at um, 105% of your FTP, and you choose that's 300 watts, and you put in 300 watts, it will essentially keep you at 300 watts during the intervals, roughly. I mean, there is some, some leeway. Um, I did have a quick go on it on Zwift, on the Saris, and it probably gave me leeway of maybe 10, 15 watts maximum, kind of around, but then tried to kind of use that resistance to try and draw me back into that um, the number that I put in. So there's obviously different ways that different uh, systems do it and obviously having a little bit more flexibility is probably better than some of the systems that might have been very rigid. Now, where did kind of ERG mode come from? Well, we obviously didn't used to have it on trainers because they didn't used to have this ability. So ERG mode has has been used in research for a long time, um, generally to try and constrain a specific power output. Um, and often that power output is based on on testing and based on either or it's part of using it to test. So it was um, so let's say you're doing a stepped test where you are trying to keep at specific power outputs. So you're doing, let's say you're doing kind of a ramp test protocol and you have to keep it at a specific output. Obviously, what you don't want the, the athlete to be doing is spiking up and down on their power output, starting a, a, the next level high and then low and dropping and trying to have to hold a certain power. You want them to, you know, particularly on things like VO2 max tests is a good example. You don't want them to just basically zone out and be able to put out the power that you are aiming them to gradually increase. So that is where kind of ERG mode came from. So it's often these the systems, um, extremely expensive bike systems that were very, very good at doing it and had a lot of control and would keep um, cadence and or allow the kind of input of cadence and force and those things to, to create this power output that you could, uh, that was very accurate because the, the uh, trainers were very well calibrated and accurate um, in order to do things like ramp protocols, but also things like, um, using in order to uh, having 
let's say you've you've done some testing on an athlete or a set of athletes and you've you've found out what their various um maximal power outputs are and then you decide that you're going to do your protocol at they're all going to do 85% of that as part of the protocol so that's where you would use erg mode as, as a pre-designated power output based on your testing this is where the issue comes in firstly with a smart trainer you're not sat on a 10 20 000 pound erg that's at a university they don't do the job as well that's for starters they're not as accurate it's a big issue with regards to parameters, and it's becoming an issue now with Zwift. It's a really, really interesting way of looking at it, is that parameters were never designed to be that accurate. And now we have Zwift, there's a real problem, because they're not that accurate, and they're proving to be very inaccurate. So if you get up to a certain kind of level in Zwift, you start doing races that require you to present a dual recording. This is showing that you've not got a completely broken parameter. It's a bit of a, a fallacy in a way, because actually, a lot of parameters can be altered in terms of the calibration by the end user. So things like that, if you know what you're doing, can be changed. But the idea is that if you've got two parameter sources and they're roughly showing the same numbers, then you're probably, the power output you're probably putting is, out, is legit. And obviously that's all the game knows is your weight and power. And obviously people want to do well, so they want the power output to be higher. But there's also a rule now, if you're doing the higher level racing, that you need to use your trainer as your primary source. The thing about the trainers is that um, the top few, the kicker, the Saris, and obviously the tax, the, the few tax ones, tax neo, are supposedly very accurate. Um, whether they are perfectly accurate, I think, is up for debate. Particularly the Saris is a good example. I've uh, there's a, a team that races on the Saris on Zwift that all have the Saris trainer, and they all post dual recordings of their Saris and their own part. And I, for one, have seen multiple. people riders of that team where their Saris is reading higher than their crank-based power meter, which cannot happen. So that is uh, an absolute red flag. If your trainer, your power meter in the hub is reading higher than your crank or your, your, your pedals, something is wrong. It has to be because there has to be loss in the chain. The most perfectly meticulous drive chain will lose 5 watts or 10 watts at least in the chain. So actually, there you have to lose 5, 10, 15 watts um, as a minimum. You know, it's normally about, four, it's about between somewhere between 3 and 5% is, is the kind of rough target. 4% tends to be touted as a, a nice, well-looked-after drive chain that's, um, that's been nicely lubed. Everything, all this kind of stuff is about 4%. So this is starting to show you that the parameters aren't that accurate. So going back to erg mode you are selecting it based on the output that you don't know is exactly accurate. But also you don't know that accuracy and that reliability compared to you. So this is my argument. So the arguments, the things I got thrown at me were things like around the psychology, the mentality of needing to have your, you know, your trainer kind of control that in that, you know, if you don't feel like you can hit the numbers that putting the trainer, the trainer that you have to do 300 watts means that you can't give up and all these things. And I do understand that. And I think that is a valid I, you know, use of it in a way. However, you don't know that, that number is the right number for you on that given day to generate the right amount of stress and strain. So think about it from this perspective. So this is the way that I'm viewing it as. Training is not trying to put out a power output. Yes, you want to maximise the power output that you're getting into the road, but let's say you've got wonky problems with your bike, aerodynamics, all these things. 
the actual power or the speed that you end up at the end of it, which is what you're after if you're out on, on the road, might be very different. The point is training. It doesn't matter how fast you go and how much power kind of ends up in the road. The point with training really is that you're trying to manage the stress and strain on the body to be able to improve the ability to deal with the stress and strain on the body over whatever you want to do, whether it's a short distance event and you're trying to increase your ability to generate massive amounts of stress and strain very rapidly and output them and deal with them and deal with the discomfort or you're doing a long distance stuff where essentially the idea is that you're trying to endure a small amount or a smaller amount of stress and strain that gradually builds. Now that is obviously tied to power output However, there are things and factors that affect where how those that stress and strain leads to power output, and that's vary. You know, those things vary. They vary day to day. So the 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 whole my whole logic and my whole point behind this and being against erg mode is erg mode is actively selecting that power output and constraining you at that. But you don't even know that's the right output based on the stress and strain that you want, and that if you use heart rate and RPE first and allow the output to happen so which means that you're training you're training with power not to power so it's that clear distinction between that you are ending up at a certain power output but your stress and strain is what you're aiming for now some days that power might be higher and some days it might be lower and that's okay because some days you are going to feel better and you are going to be able to manage more stress and on those days you should put a bit more stress into the system if you're aiming for more. You shouldn't basically reduce the stress because the power output is higher because you were aiming for a power output, not for amount of stress and strain. But the, the reverse is also really, really important. And I think sometimes it's missed. So as a good example of this, just sort of a slight tangent of this um, is regards to heart rate variability. Heart rate variability is something I was very interested or have been very interested in. But there's a few little studies that are actually very interesting use of heart rate variability to manage training load. And what they found was when they when they actually managed training load, particularly high intensity stuff with heart rate variability measurements, i.e. when you were well rested and you could train hard, you trained harder, essentially. And when you weren't well rested, your heart rate variability wasn't was showing that you weren't as well rested as you need to be. The, the training load was not removed, but was reduced. The output in terms of the the um, the training adaptations or the how the performance went actually seemed to be better, even though they did less, because it was individualized. Some of the athletes within it did hard sessions almost every day because their heart rate variability stayed high, and showed that they could tolerate it. And some didn't tolerate it well at all. The point was is that they were they that was the real epitome of monitoring training and dictating what you did and what you didn't do based on your body's stress and strain and how it responded as opposed to the output. The output was just, uh, this is the output today. Didn't matter. It was all about your stress and strain. That's why things like VO2 max intervals is a good example. We really got to start thinking about those as, as from a heart rate and RPE perspective because heart rate is actually a really good measure. It's got a really, got, it started getting a really bad reputation from lots of different elements um, because it was viewed as unreliable. Well, actually, if you unless you get significantly dehydrated and or heat and those factors start to really play a part, actually heart rate can be quite a good measure. 
particularly with short stuff, particularly with your kind of interval, it's always viewed as like VO2 max, oh, it's got too much of a lag. Well, yes, it lags, but also the kind of heart rates that you're aiming for can really show you whether you're, um, whether you're putting that stress on the body because that actually is quite repeatable. So, for instance, I know, having done lots of stuff, that when I'm doing three, four, five, six-minute type VO2 max level intervals, I'm going to want to be between 165 and 170. If I'm creeping over 170, then I'm actually probably going potentially slightly too hard. And I, th- I know that I'll probably suffer for the later intervals, which actually might mean that the overall stress is lower. But if I'm struggling to get into the 160s, then actually it's likely if I'm doing those intervals I'm straight, and then I'm not well rested enough to, to basically be able to create that strain. Because even though the power might be up there, my body is actively holding me back. And it's something, and one of the other podcasts, one of the next podcasts I'll do will be a lot about overtraining. But exercise can be quite, exercise, the thing about overtraining, just to go off on a very small tangent, is that overtraining is kind of not a lot about training. It is related to because things like energy deficits that are brought on by training are really important. But actually, training itself can often be very self-limiting in that when your body feels pretty rubbish, it stops you from going too hard and actually actively reduces what you can do. But again, if you tell the ergometer that you want to do 400 watts and you're feeling, you know, today 400 watts actually is probably, you know, feel-wise is probably more like 380 or 375 or 350, then actually you're much better off doing those intervals at the lower intensity or the lower, sorry, the lower power output, same kind of stress and strain intensity. So that's the key thing is that erg mode is a really good example. Now, yes, you can bump it up and down. But why? Why would you actually almost need to, unless you are the you the kind of person that needs to kind of basically close their eyes and want the thing to do exactly what you need to do, but then you've got a power meter, you've got this measurement in your legs, in your body, in your way you feel about things. Learn to use that. We don't get much training time as a time-pressed athlete. Don't diminish the gains you might make in a session because you went too easy, because you're, you set a power output that actually you could exceed. But also embrace the fact that you've got to do that psychological holding. Embrace that everything you're trying to learn, every session, actually could be an improvement in the ability to psychologically control what you're doing, control pacing, controlling your effort, controlling the feel and how the, the effort actually feels for you. And all those almost elements of um, lesser viewed elements of training. So that's what my views are on using Erg Mode, and I strongly suggest that you reduce your use of it, if not stop using it altogether. Thank you very much for listening, and goodbye.